Welcome to the Never Settle Podcast. My name is Mel Clark and I am passionate about helping people realise that settling for second best is no longer an option and that everyone deserves to live the life they truly desire. Okay, so today I got to chat with Kelly Sparta and do you know what? It was a real joy to speak with Kelly. She's a real kindred spirit. She, she does a lot of things. She's a, a shaman. She's a healer, a psychic, a channel, a medium, an empath, an entrepreneur, spiritual seeker. She's all of these things. Um, but she really opened up about the, the way she was treated growing up. She moved a hell of a lot. She's moved 39 times up to the point of speaking on this podcast. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, she basically, she had to, she, she said she sort of cre- uh, created herself as a bit of a chameleon and didn't know she was doing this, but she would fit straight in with groups of people, new groups of people, because she was always in new groups of people, uh, almost like they'd known her for years. But she also had a load of crap uh, when she was at school, girls not liking her, even to the point of her thinking about suicide at one point. Um, and then quickly realised, no bollocks to that, you know, nobody deserves, um, I'm not, I'm not going to give anybody the satisfaction. But anyway, we had a real giggle through this uh, conversation. Uh, I loved Kelly's energy, I loved her humour. Um, she's very left-brained and right-brained, uh, something that I wish I was more left-brained, because I'm very right-brained. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really loved her, I loved her energy, I loved her wisdom and um, hopefully you'll feel the same. It's a real joy to listen to Kelly's story and very, very uplifting and very empowering. So wherever you are listening to this, enjoy. Well, hello, lovely listeners. Today I have the wonderful Kelly Sparta. Kelly is a great combination of grounded real world concepts balanced with woo-woo energetics. Um, she sent me an email to uh, talk about being a guest on the show, and uh, I was um, I wasn't expecting everything I've found out since. Um, but yeah, theatrical dynamic, but also a shaman, um, founder of the Sacred Power and Purpose Mystery School. So she works with people on integrating real world skills with energetic skills. So I'm intrigued to hear about that. Um, so they can optimize a, a life path path even of happiness success and inner peace she also is the co-host of the very popular spirit sherpa podcast so i'm going to check that one out because i haven't done that yet um so you have a co-host which i have seen him somewhere but uh, my apologies i can't think of his name right now that's okay he's he's abandoned the podcast oh right (laughs) he left us so that's okay Okay, we're actually interviewing for new co-hosts right now oh yeah, maybe, maybe me. Um, anyway, um, so Kelly grew up in the New Age movement and um, your mom said that you were talking to ghosts from your crib. And um, from the age of six, you were taking classes, listening to tapes, reading books from spiritual teachers like Seth. I've read the Seth books, um, Abraham Hicks. I don't know Ram Dass. Um, you could do self-hypnosis by the age of 10 and you read Tarot by 12. I'd love to be able to read the Tarot naturally. And in 1998, Kelly completely chucked her life, divorced her husband, (laughs) sold her house and business and moved into a house with magical practitioners that would change the way she saw the world forever. Sounds fucking ace. And um, in 2002, went on walkabout in the US and now she's sharing her unique experience with all of us. So welcome, Kelly. It's a pleasure to have you. And just so the viewers know, not not the viewers, the listeners and viewers maybe, um, Kelly um, had a bit of a dizzy spell before we came on. I think she's cool. She seems to be okay now. But just in case, um, she's, um, yeah, just to to pre-warn, but I'm sure Kelly's absolutely fine. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) <laughs> this is this is exciting. I mean, I read the 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 description of your podcast just before I came on. I'm like, oh, that's so mean. Maybe, <laughs> you know, I'm the I'm the classic good to great girl. You know, it's like yeah. I I don't settle for good. I always go for great. Right. <laughs> great. Cool. Like, yeah. If it's not optimized, it's not me. <laughs> Love it. So, um, 
Well, I always love to hear my guests' backstory um, and my, my listeners love that as well. So I'm always intrigued to know that, you know, the young Kelly, the little Kelly and, and how that transpired certainly into that amazing uh, moment of divorcing your husband, selling everything and, and completely starting afresh. So if you want to start from wherever you feel comfortable, um, but I'd love to know a bit more about who you are, your background and how you've got into doing what you're doing today. So, uh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, you covered a lot of the, the early stage stuff. Uh, what I will add into the mix is that I was a very shy child initially. Um, I was afraid of people, um, mostly because my dad was a bit of a rageaholic. My mother was an alcoholic. My dad was a rageaholic. So between the two, there was a, a lot, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, we moved a lot like I have moved 39 times in my life and I am 52 years old. So do math wow. and uh, we are planning another move now too. So <laughs> yay, <laughs> might as well round it out to 40. Right. Uh, and so the, I was always the new kid in school, which actually forced me out of my shell. It forced mm. me to learn how to make friends and how to mesh quickly excuse me, quickly with people, uh, which became, quickly became my superpower. I became a chameleon. And I actually, I actually got called out on it. <laughs> I, I was uh, invited to stay with a bunch of people I was working with at the Renaissance Fair who I'd never met before. They were friends of a friend of mine who was supposed to come with me and at the last second said, nah, you know, I'm not gonna make it, but you should go. And I was like, uh, okay. And so, you know, I showed up with some Entenmann's and, and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'll be here. And I walked in and within 10 minutes, I was sitting in the middle of the group of people and I was, you know, doing some healing work on some people and hanging out and chit-chatting. And, and somebody looked at me and said, wait a minute. I was like, what? She said, you just walked in here 10 minutes ago and you feel like you have been part of the group for 10 years. How did you do that? And I was like, I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> like, I meshed my energy. I, I, I entrained my energy field to the energy of the group. Oh, wow. And then I just fit in, right? But, I, you know, the, the downside of that, it, it's a great coping mechanism for fitting in. But the downside is that nobody ever really sees you because you're not being you, mm. right? And so I lived behind a mask for a very long time. And I didn't even realize I was living behind a mask. And then I twice in a couple of years cut my hair from mid back to above the neck, you know, but to like right at mid neck and no one noticed. Two weeks, I waited for anyone to say anything and no one noticed. And I finally said, did you notice that I cut my hair? And they all looked at me and sort of squinted and, and turned their heads. And it was like, they were really trying to see hard. And they went, oh, I guess you did. And I was like, I am wearing an energetic mask that they can't see through to even see what I look like. Right. Wow. Okay. I wasn't even aware I'd done it. I didn't even know how to do it, <laughs> but I had done it. And so I spent some time taking down that mask so that people could actually see me because it's very lonely to never be seen. And so, you know, I was very good at looking like I was perfect all the time. Mm. I had to be perfect. I was, you know, perfectionist and a control freak and uh, right. Because those are safety mechanisms. We feel safe if we can control the world around us. We feel safe if we can always be perfect because then no one can find fault with us, right? Mm. Which is patently untrue, by the way. They get pissed off that you're perfect all the time. Yeah, exactly. For the record. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they get mad about that too. So, you know, it doesn't actually fix You can't win problem. either way, so. Right, you, you, you're, <laughs> you're out of luck either way. And so, you know, I had all of these coping mechanisms and none of them were helping with the mental stress right? So I was going through these, this anxiety all the time. You know, if somebody would say, Hey, can we talk later on today? I would immediately go into, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? 
-hmm. I would review absolutely everything we'd ever said to one another. I would look at every situation and I'd be like, okay, what did I do? What did I screw up? Why are they upset with me? They want to talk to me. Ah, and then, you know, what they would actually want to say is, Hey, you want to come to a party? And I'm like, <laughs> ah, went through all of this for nothing. Right. And, and if I was mad at somebody, I wouldn't say I was mad at them. I would just have repeated arguments in my head with them. I'd be like coming at it from 15 different directions, trying to figure out how I was going to confront them. And, you know, I'd get myself all spun up and I get more and more angry until finally I exploded all over them. And they were like, what is your problem? Because, you know, this was not that big of a deal. And I'm like, but I built it into a big deal in my head by having 50 arguments with you before I had the conversation. Right? And, and, you know, it was all of these things of my own making because I was so stressed out and I'm so worried that somebody would find me to be not good enough, which is what I inherently believed myself to be, mm. which of course is why I had to be superior, right? So if you've got this superiority thing going on, like I did, then, you know, it got you through. And in fact, in high school, so in high school, I had an English teacher who uh, I had, when I moved from Maryland to the border of Mexico and California. I came in with all of these nice clothes and I had just gotten my haircut and my contacts and suddenly I looked like one of the popular girls, but nobody knew that I was the nerd in Maryland. <laughs> and so I didn't know how to be a popular girl. <laughs> and so for three months I was a popular girl and I was like, he, I don't know how this works. He, <laughs> and I had always been sort of the leader of the nerds. And so I just did what I normally did, which was evidently challenging the lead popular girl for supremacy, which I didn't realize I was doing. <laughs> and of course she immediately smacked me down Yeah, and like spread rumors about me and blacklisted me from the popular crowd. And it was just, it was, it was bad. It was so bad that a guy asked me out after high school and he said, you would not believe the pressure there was to not even speak to you. Really? And I was like, yes, I would. Right? <laughs> I totally do. It's crazy, and isn't it? This particular English teacher would participate in beating on me in class every now and again. And so one day I went to him and I, I was busy. I kept my, the reason I could survive is I kept myself very busy. Uh, if you saw my calendar from my senior year, <laughs> I don't even know when I slept, but I had asked him, I said, can we assume that since I've gotten an A in every single paper that you've given me for the last year and a half that I mastered writing to the, to your satisfaction. And he's like, uh, sure. And I said, can we assume that since the, there are other ways to prove that I've written the, read the book that I've read the book. And he's like, sure. And I said, so then can I skip the papers? And he said, not unless you want to fail. <laughs> and I was like, but that's not fair. Right. And he took me into the guidance counselor's office and said, you have a superiority complex and you need to get over yourself. Right. And that's why you're not getting along. And I said, no, I said, I don't need to get over my superiority complex. What you need to recognize is that you're participating in bullying. And the only thing that's allowing me to survive the bullying that I am experiencing is my superiority complex and the knowledge that this is a small town and I will shake the, the dirt off of this small town when I leave for college and I will never look back and you people with your small minds don't matter to me. And I said, that's the only reason that I'm surviving this. So you need to leave me alone. And he, which for 16 was like, yeah, wow, stunningly oh, oh, self-aware, right? Mm. And you know, he didn't like that answer. So <laughs> go figure. That went right? down like a shit sandwich. It really kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is this is you asked to know about the little known facts of my life, and this is the little known facts of my life. So um, and so I went so what I discovered later, much later. Uh, is that one of the processes that a, a, an apprentice shaman goes through is a shunning. There's always a shunning. There's always a time when you are shunned from your community. Oh. And it is a test of your resolve and your ability to speak truth. To oh, the wow. Community. And that if you, that they literally used to bury shaman, apprentice shamans in the ground up to their neck. And oh. the, the, 
the tribe would come by and spit on them and call them names and, you know, abuse them in an, in an effort to break their will. Because if it could be broken, then they were not worthy of being the shaman. And that was my experience in this two and a half years of this high school. That's interesting. Just just to slightly inter- interrupt, um, that immediately took me to a, a moment in my life. And uh, because the sh- shamanism fascinates me, I've, I've done one uh, ayahuasca and uh, wachumu ceremony. Wachumu, is that how you say it? But, um, you know, the cactus. Um, and yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting. And will I do it again? Probably. But I'm I'm fascinated with shamans and, and all of that. And I've often thought that I quite like the idea of doing it myself. And I actually started to sort of prod that about a year ago, but I've done nothing with it. But the shunning thing, yeah, was a massive thing in, when I was about 20, uh, 22, 23. That happened to me um, massively. Broke my heart. Um, yeah. And yeah, you either sink or you swim, don't you? And, and I definitely swam. Um, so I just needed to say that because like the shunning for you, so you you sort of said to him, this is where I'm at, piss off basically. Right, basically. And, and, and that, that basically got you. So is that what you're saying? That got you to that status of being spat on by the tribers or whatever? Well, I was already at the state of being spat on. Spat on, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was nonstop. I mean, the, the girls who had been my best friends spread a rumor because I was out sick for three days with the flu. They spread a rumor I'd had an abortion. I mean, oh, you want to talk about, you know, they, they did everything they could to make my life miserable. Mm. And, you know, it was, a, it was bad enough that I considered suicide. God not because I actually considered it, but because I thought it's bad enough, I should consider it, mm. right? It was, it was one of those things I was like, yeah. this is bad enough, I'll consider this. And I went, screw that. I'm not giving them the satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm out. No, uh-uh. And I'm like, this is, I can survive anything for another year and a half or whatever it was by that time in two years. And I was just like, yep, I'm, I'm, I will just weather the storm. And I will continue to do whatever I want to do in spite of all of this. Yeah. And it really hardened my resolve to not care about what the average person thought of me in that space. Now, it did not harden my resolve against caring about what the people I care about uh, thought of me, right? I... I was still very subject to that. Yeah. Right. And so the people I cared about, I was, I was really um, subject to, especially since so many people were against me in other spaces. Mm. And so, uh, but it was part of the the shamanic initiation that I wasn't even aware that I was. Yeah, having. I was going to say. You... I'd never even heard of a shaman at that point. No. Right. Didn't even know what it was. So, the. It wasn't for another oof, 10 years, 12 years before I had even heard of a shaman, maybe more, right? Almost, almost 15 years, right? And um, so, you know, you don't realize what you're going through and you don't realize the spirit is claiming you. And, you know, people often say, oh, well, I think I might want to be a shaman. And I always say, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't it is like the hardest thing ever really to be a shaman because it is a constant state of must do your work you know the the spirit will just be in your face all the time they're just like okay next 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 because they're constantly trying to strip away and clear the limiting beliefs and to make you deal with your shadows and all of that because that's what it means to be a shaman is to do your work And so long as you claim that you are either a practicing shaman, so, and I want to define the difference between those terms, there's a practicing shaman and then there's a shaman. Practicing shaman is someone who is training to be a shaman, 
but has not yet been acknowledged by another shaman as being a shaman. Okay. You literally cannot call yourself a shaman until another shaman, whether it's your teacher or not, another shaman has to look at you and say, oh, you're a shaman, right? And for me, I got my acknowledgement kind of sideways, right? Uh, I, I studied with a bunch of different shamans over the course of time. The, on the walkabout, Spirit put me in front of like, I don't know, like 11, 12 different shamans, right? And I stayed with them at different times and they gave me different pieces of training. And so, and, and my Reiki master, when I was taking Reiki classes, was a shaman. And I had no idea that of that when I signed up, right? It's like, spirit was just like, you're going to be a shaman. Here we go. Mm-hmm. We're just going to whack you upside the head with a bunch of shamans. And a friend of mine was having her house cleared and she had invited a shaman who was uh, uh, from uh, Thailand to come and clear her house. And he was, uh, well, he was living in Thailand, but he was American. And he had pulled out his eagle feather and he, he pulled it out to set it down and he, he stopped midway through and he's like, I have to introduce my eagle feather to you. Now, she had just asked me to come and be in support. I had not said a word about who I was or what I did. And he's like, I have to introduce my eagle feather to you. I was like, oh, okay. So he handed me the eagle feather and I communed with it for a moment. And then I handed it back to him. And he went, why didn't you tell me you were a shaman? (laughs) And I didn't have the nerve to say, well, up until a second ago, I wasn't, right? (laughs) (laughs) I just said, it just didn't seem relevant. (laughs) (laughs) So that was my acknowledgement, right? Uh, and, And, you know, I had a friend of mine who'd been training as a shaman for 20 years with underneath a single shaman who refused to acknowledge her because of his own ego issues. And so I had to look at her and say, you're a shaman and, and give her the acknowledgement. She was like, Oh, thank God. Because she really had been for a long time, but she couldn't claim it until she got acknowledged. And that's just, there's something in the energetic of shamanism that requires it. Yeah, because wasn't it in the traditional view of shamans, it's like it's a generational thing, isn't it? Um, So like, I mean, when I went and had my plant medicine, it was in Leeds in the UK. You know, it wasn't in the rainforest. Um, And um, and that's okay. You know, I'd been introduced to him through other people and they'd had amazing experiences but it sort of, I was like, oh, right, this is different. I'm in, you know, I'm in a detached house in England. I'm not in a rainforest and I'm still having this experience, you know? Right. So things have changed. Yeah. Well, well, it was like me doing my walkabout in my car, right? So in, in Aboriginal culture in Australia, a walkabout is walking out into the desert. And so everybody thinks of and a walkabout is being walking into the desert. But what it is, is you're walking into your world until you find yourself, mm. right? That's, you know, and I'm from the US. And so my world lives in cars and my world travels the entire country. And my world is all about changing places and doing things. That's, that's my energy. And so I went 14,000 miles over the course of a year staying with random strangers who would, it it was so fascinating because each place I stayed would send me to the next one. Right. I was going to say, how did you find these people? Yeah. Yeah. There would be, you know, like I would go to a festival. So a classic example, I went to a festival, I was in the bathroom there's this woman with beautiful long hair and I am a master hair braider having worked at the Renaissance Fair for many years. Okay. And I looked at her, I was like, oh, would you like me to braid your hair? I'm a master hair braider. And she's like, oh my God, that'd be fantastic. And I was like, I love keeping my skills up. This would be great. And so I sat and I was braiding her hair and she was asking me what was going on. And I told her I was on spiritual pilgrimage. And, and she was like, oh, you have to go to Spiral Festival. Now we're in upstate New York. And spiral festivals in Atlanta, which is, you know, a long ways away. And 
I say, well, I say, how much does it cost? Because at the time I was living on 350 bucks a month in unemployment insurance and the kindness of strangers. And I had zero savings and I had just declared bankruptcy. So I had no credit cards. And so I was just like, yeah, this is not, <laughs> I was just in this space. And uh, she said, well, it's $250. I said, mm, I said, I can't afford that. Do you know if they have work study options? And she said, well, they probably filled all of those because it's happening in a couple of days, but I can't go and I have set the money aside to go. So if you'll go, I'll pay for you. And I was like, I'm there. And <laughs> you didn't go, oh, no, 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 I couldn't take that. No, no, no. You just went, yeah. yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Because the universe was providing, right? Yeah. yeah. This is where you need to go next. Okay. And so uh, she said, but I'm not going to give you the money, which I totally understood. She said, I'll give my boyfriend who's going to the festival the money and he'll pay for you when you get there. She said, follow us home to Lexington, Kentucky. And we'll, you can stay the night with us. And then we're going to go and pick up a friend on the way. And then you can caravan with my boyfriend to the event and he'll pay for you to get it. And I was like, okay. And so that's what I did. And as it turns out, the friend they were picking up became my best friend and is someone I still work with uh, in my programs. And uh, I met her on her doorstep as we picked her up for this right. thing. We ended up rooming together at this festival. So I really needed to be there because she and I were meant to work together, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, that connection was there. And I, if I had not said yes, I, I would, wouldn't have met her, right? And so, you know, it was, it was like that each place I stopped gave me connections to the next place. Mm. Right. And so, you know, I met a bunch of people there and one of the guys there said, come to St. Augustine, Florida. And so I did, and I stayed with him for a couple of weeks. And then later, after I had been back off of my walkabout, he was on his own walkabout and he came up to Massachusetts and I put him up and we did a little ritual for my students saying, you know, this is what it's like to be on walkabout, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, they wanted an experience of it. And so we created this really awesome, you know, walking experience of what it's like to be on walkabout, which is, um, you know, we had them we gave them a pile of stones and we said, okay, take all your hopes and dreams for the future and put them into your stone. Pick a stone that resonates and, and you know, focus on it. And when you put all your hopes and dreams into the stone, one person at a time, come down the stairs, knock on the door, and you'll be let into the, into the room. And so they did that and they opened the door, they closed the door behind them so nobody could hear what was going on upstairs. And the, the gatekeeper at the door said, you're stepping out in faith and you're trusting that the universe is going to take you where you need to go. So I'll take all those hopes and dreams now. And they had to hand over the stone. And for some people it was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. For other people, it was like, Oh my God, what do you mean? You're taking my hopes and dreams. Ah! And so that was a big deal for them. Right. And then they would move on to me. And I would say, you don't get to know where you're going when you're stepping out in faith. So put this mind, I, I had a mindfold blindfold. So it's like no light, anything. It's got foam around it, right? And we're gonna go on a trust walk. And so I walked them outside on a trust walk and I took them over very rocky ground where I had hold of them very tightly and made sure that they weren't gonna stumble. I took them over very smooth ground where I led them by a single finger. I had them interact with this big boulder where they would have an experience of you know interacting with something that they didn't know what it was. And I took them out into the forest and I let them go and I walked away for a minute and let them be still. And then I called to them and they had to come to the sound of my voice because these are all the ways that the universe talks to us, right? Okay, right. Sometimes it, it talks to us very loudly and has us by both hands because we're on rocky ground. Sometimes it's a single finger because we're on smooth ground. Sometimes we need to sit still and wait for the sound. And one of the students had had a hard time hearing his guides. He, he was convinced his guides weren't talking to him. Hmm. And he was the only person that I screamed his name and he did not hear me. And I had to literally go and get him. Really? Right? Because when you're standing in that space and you're taking on the archetype of the universe, you are having the experience that the universe is having with that person. 
And so I got to reflect that back to him at the end saying, you were not listening. <laughs> you were so not listening that I was screaming at you and you did not hear me. I had to come and get you and take you. And then I would take them to a certain point and I would say, okay, now you've learned how to follow. Now it's time to lead and trust that I will not let you fall. And some people would wander around and one person turned around and danced with me, which was fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. And then at some point I would grab them and say, okay, you know, come with me again. And I walked backwards up the stairs to the deck and they all to a person said that before their feet hit the bottom stair, they thought I was levitating. <laughs> okay. And then you know, we walked up the stairs and uh, I placed them in front of the final person who was the guy on walkabout. And he took the mindfold off and handed it to me so I could sneak back down and go do the next person. But they were blinking and trying to take in all the sunlight because their eyes had been dark for so long. And they, they resolved and they saw him instead of me. And his message was the universe has many, many faces and messages come from many places. Please come inside and contemplate your experience in silence. And so I gave people the opportunity to come in and, and just sort of marinate on their, their concept. And then once everybody was through and had a chance to, to integrate, we debriefed and everybody had a chance to share about what their experience was because everyone went through the exact same steps and everyone had different experiences. Yeah. Right. And that was a, a learning unto itself. Right. But this was giving people the experience of what it was like to be on walkabout. Right. It sounds amazing. Um, it and I've never heard of a mindfold. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of a so blindfold. If you, yeah. If you know anybody in the BDSM world, you know that they know the mindfold. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. So, you know, all of these things, and, and this is what we do when we do our ritual retreats is we create experiences like that, right? It's, it's an opportunity to step into a space that most of us only get to experience two or three times in a lifetime. You know, there mm. are those moments in your life that are pivotal. Mm. that change how you see yourself, change who you believe yourself to be, change your experience of the world. We create those experiences within a ritual context and allow people to engage them at whatever level they want. You know, I mean, you can take a shallow dive or you can take a deep dive. And, and it walks you through the process of being able to clear things out of your energy field, out of your belief structure, out of your mindset, to clear emotions, to clear uh, you know, concepts, right? Yeah. So to, to go back a bit, um, just thinking about what, what I said at the beginning where you were seeing um, dead people in the crib. Um, mm. Is your, were your parents that way inclined? Was this, were you a bit of a freak in as much as Jesus Christ, what's she talking about? Um, <laughs> <laughs> So my father would well, what say, what she babbling yes. on about, you know, as a baby, <laughs> now, my father would say, yes, my father was an incredibly intuitive guy. Okay. In fact, one of the things that he talked about all the time was, you know, well, I knew this was coming, blah, 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 this client, blah, blah, blah. But he always put it down to being able to read people. Right. Mm. He just thought he was good at reading people. No, the man was freaking intuitive. Right. Right. And then there was my mother who was psychic as a child and was scared of it. And so she shut it down and she never figured out how to turn it back on again. Yeah, right. And so she was committed to the idea that that would not happen to me, which is why I got so much training early on. I, I got the, the psychic training early on because of that. I got this, the personal growth training early on because my parents got divorced when I was five and my mother was trying to fix her life. And so for, you know, 15 years, she was, I, I can't even tell you how many personal growth self-help programs she brought home. I mean, mm. there, we didn't watch TV, we listened to tapes, right? And it was nonstop. So I don't even know all the people that we studied with. I know that she brought home Est when I was six years old, which was a precursor to Landmark. Oh yeah, I've done Landmark. Yeah, it was the not kinder, gentler version of Landmark. <laughs> it was the, the harsher version of Landmark. What, there's a harsher version? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Est was the in your freaking face Bloody version hell. of right, Landmark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 
Um, she brought that home when I was six years old. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, there, there was so many programs. And, you know, the very interesting thing, because uh, I also added to the mix when I, so I had built the perfect life for myself by the time I was 28, I had built what they quote the American dream, right? I had the trophy husband, I had the big house, I had the dog and the two cars and I had the successful business. I was a pillar of my community and you know, being president of the local Habitat for Humanity affiliate by all outside ticks on the chart, I was successful, right? And I hated my life, mm. right? So I just leveled it. <laughs> it's just like, I'm done. Divorced the husband, gave the how, go, gave him the dog, the, sold the house, the whole thing, right? Okay, how, how, but how, right? Because I've been through that process of realizing that I wasn't happy and, and you know, um, divorcing, et cetera. But it took me quite a long time. And there, were, there was something that started it in terms of my unraveling. And that's what got me to, to be honest and, and everything else. But- that took time. That took a lot of guilt. That took a lot of tears. That took a lot of panic attacks in the middle of the night and all the rest of it. You, you make it sound easy. Like, yeah, I just decided, <laughs> no. I just decided no. that was it. You know? No, I knew six months into the marriage, it was a nightmare. I was like, yep, it's done. And this was, this was a bad idea. But my father at the wedding reception had said, it'll never last. Right. And what to I you or publicly? To me. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like, watch me. <laughs> and I was just like, and, and so I put up with six and a half more years mm. of, you know, being unhappy and begging for therapy and, you know, for couples therapy and all of this other stuff. And I finally, at seven years in, I went, I can either make my father right and claim and admit that I failed or I can be miserable. I, I looked ahead and I was like, it'll be 10 years before I have another choice point on this. Mm. It'll be 10 years before I give myself permission. I'm not living this for 10 years more. I'm not doing it. I'd rather be a failure and make my father right than, than you know, do this. Yeah. And ironically, I called my father to tell him and he said, well, I can't say you didn't make a good, a good, good show of it and you didn't try. I'm proud of you only time in his life he ever said I was he was proud of me was the time that I was spiting him <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah I don't think that's how I want to get my, my kudos from my dad no. <laughs> so only time in my life he ever said it so uh you know it, it it was not easy I went through a lot I I couldn't admit that I was a failure for a long time and it there was a lot of angst and agony because I still loved him. I just couldn't live with him. He made my life miserable. I mean, mm. he was controlling and, and, you know, we just were not compatible and it, it just wasn't a good fit from the very beginning. And I don't know what I was thinking. I was 21 and stupid. That's what I was thinking, but it was my third marriage proposal. I thought I had been, you know, very, very, you know, reasonable. My first one came when I was 16, you know, <laughs> I was just like, I thought I'd been reasonable waiting till I was 21. No, I was still insane. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Right. And I'm certain that there was a life contract for us to meet because when I was choosing colleges, I was looking at Puget Sound, Washington. I was looking at Ithaca, New York, and I was looking at San Diego, California. And as it turns out, my husband-to-be had been on every single one of those campuses during the time that I was in college. And so, so it was destined, yeah. So it was destiny, right? Yeah. I was convinced, I'm, I'm still convinced that that was a, a, a yeah. life contract to say, okay, this is what I don't want, right? And to get <laughs> me to that, that space. So no, it was not easy. It was miserable. In fact, I, I was a, a real estate agent at the time that I got the divorce and uh, you know, the agents are gossip mongers of the world. I mean, it's, it's horrifying. And I made my business partner who is the gossip monger of the best, the, he was the best gossip monger ever, right? I made him promise not to tell anyone that I was going through this until it was done because I didn't want other people in my yeah. business because I was in so much pain. Mm. Because when you, when you get a divorce, you're, even if it's your idea, even if you're happy about it, which I was, I was thrilled, but even if you're happy about it, it is a grieving process because you're grieving the dream of what could have been. Yeah. You're dreaming, you're grieving the dream of the life that you were going to build together. Mm. 
And it was, a, it was a very sad time. And it was the first time I ever lived alone. It was so funny. I called both my parents to tell them I was getting divorced. And they both said, do you want to move home? <laughs> and I, exactly like that. And I was like, oh, God, no. And they went, oh, good. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Then we wish you all the best. You would be welcome, right? <laughs> I was like, no, I definitely don't want to come home. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you for the offer. And no. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just, it was, it was very hard. Um, but once I got through it, I, the next year was the most grateful I've ever been in my life. I literally woke up every morning going, oh, I love my life. I love my life. I don't have to account to him for anything. I don't have to check with him before I make a purchase. I don't have to deal with him whining about whatever it is that I bought because he didn't like it. You know, I don't have to deal with him for, you know, I don't have to worry that I have to go to this business event and he's feeling sad that he's left at home alone and, you know, but doesn't want to come. And, you know, it's just like, you know, all Row up. <laughs> I, yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. He, he, he refused to get a job no matter what when I, our deal was when we got married that he was getting out of the military because I didn't want to be a military wife because yeah. I'd always been a military brat. And I was like, I've been there. I've done that. I'm done. And then he took another tour after we got married without telling me. Right. And I, I put my foot down. I was like, I'm done with being a military wife. So you either keep the agreement or I'm out. <laughs> because you agreed before we got married that was part of the deal and so he got out but never he, he resented me for the rest of the time because right, he didn't okay. want to get out right and I was like mm. so yeah that didn't go well no so you know there was a lot it's a lot right and you know when you're 21 and you get married you're like oh this is great you don't even know who the hell you are when you're 21 Hell, I barely knew who I was when I was 41. You know? I was going to say, yeah, I was 35 when I got married. And, you know, yeah. I think my baptism of fire was from the age of 36, really. That's when life began for me. So, yeah. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it was what I realized, though, in that year was that gratitude and connection to your intuition are related. I didn't realize that before. But the gratitude that I was living in, just in this, oh, like this is so good moment, right? It was like, yay. I was so open to the spiritual world at that time. I was just like, the messages were coming through hot and heavy. I mean, just crazy amounts of messages to the point where like one day I, I, there was a spiritualist church that I, I went to and I was running late and uh, cause you know, Sunday and I was a real estate agent, go figure. Uh, and the, I was like, eh, maybe I'll just go next week. And they said, no, you have to go. She won't be there next week. And I was like, who won't be there next week? And they wouldn't say anything. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go. And I go and I'm at the coffee clutch afterwards. And I'm the, one of the members introduces me to her mother. And I was like, oh, are you, do you live here? And she's like, no, I'm just visiting. I won't, you know, I'm leaving a couple of days I said oh you're the person I'm supposed to be here for and I told her the story and she her, her jaw dropped and she was like oh my god you're my message and I'm like what she said I asked for a message to say whether or not my decision was right and she never told me what the decision was but she said I asked for a message and you're my message <laughs> like okay you're okay. welcome <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, that sort of thing was happening all the time, you know? And so, uh, you know, it's, it was very hard to get through it initially, but getting out the other side was, was a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's just yeah. relief, isn't it? Once you've oh. got out of that space, it's just complete relief. It was such agony making the decision. Yeah. And then when you make the decision, it's just like, oh, thank God, I'm done. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Ah, you know yeah so so you basically left um sold up and then mm -hmm. so what was the so you were a real estate agent at this point mm -hmm. and what was the gap between then and and going on walkabout and being you know becoming a shaman 
So that's when I moved in with the people I met at the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. So I actually bought a smaller house in Connecticut. So we had been in a larger house and I bought a smaller house, which worked out to be across the street from a Revolutionary War uh, fort. And there were reenactors who came in and did a reenactment of the Revolutionary Times. Mm hmm across the street from my house. And of course I walked over and was like, Hey, you know, I used to work the Renaissance fair in California and blah, blah, blah. And, and they said, Oh, are you working King Richard's? And I was like, there's a Renaissance fair here. And they went, Oh yes. And I was like, I'm in. And so I showed up the first day I paid to get in, wore my costume, showed up and walked around to the booths, found the, the hair braiding booth, which was a hair wrap booth. And, uh, and said, hey, I work the Renaissance Fair in California. I'm a hair braider. Do you need a hair braider? They're like, yeah, we'd love to have hair braiding services. I'm like, awesome. They're like, I, I figured we'd start next year. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. Can you start next weekend? <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> so I met all of these people that I would in, end up living with within a couple of weeks of that. Um, and that was... I mean, the reenactment was a couple of months after I moved into that new house. So by the time I was uh, four months into the house, they were coming to me. I was going to them. You know, we were we were actually doing a magical circle together by that time. And um, and then I, you know, rented out the house. I moved up within like three months of meeting them. I moved into this big Victorian house that they had. It was six bedrooms and four bathrooms and it's massive 3,600 square feet, massive house and, um, and lived with them for four years. Uh, eventually I sold my house. I rented it for a year and then I sold it. Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter went on walkabout, you know, after the four years were up. Excuse my ignorance. Um, so the Renaissance Fair, the, the reenactment, I, I know little about that world. <clears throat> so the people that get involved in that sort of stuff, they tend to be spiritual and, and a bit woo-woo or? Mm, I would say, yeah, for the Renaissance Fair peeps, yes, They're, they tend to be pagan. Uh, not all of them, but a large percentage tend to be pagan. Uh, the The reenactors are often so there's reenactment groups and then there's the SCA which is the Society for Creative Anachronisms um, and the the SCA often flips over to both the Renaissance and the reenactor groups the SCA is there's a lot of pagans in that group as well uh, reenactors not as much hmm. they're more sort of regular Joes right? yeah that's what I thought yeah 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 so the reenactors were more of just a, hey, did you know there's a Renaissance fair? Okay, got you. Yeah, All right. So they they got me from point A to point B, but there are a lot of SCA people who do reenactment as well. So yeah, there's crossover. So, there's a lot of crossover in some weird groups. I mean, yeah, Renaissance fair, SCA, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, mm. cosplay, mm. Uh, BDSM. <laughs> Tatra, you know, all of those worlds overlap, okay. which is a weird combination of things, but mm. it's all alternative mindsets. Yeah. So, you know, alternative ways of being, they all are sort of like, I live outside of the norm Yeah. and, and I, I walk my own road. Right. And so, you know, while all of those paths seem to be somewhat different, they all attract similar people. Yeah. Okay. Got you. Yeah. And they're often oddly computer programmers, <laughs> which is another big community of people. Interesting. Well, right? in, I did some uh, marketing work for a guy that just runs, sells some stuff on Etsy and, and places like that. And um, <clears throat> some of the stuff he sold were frog related. So I joined a few frog groups on Facebook. Frog? Wow. Frog. I don't know what that is. Um, you know, like a toad, frog, ribbit, ribbit. Yeah, I, I know what that is, but I don't know what a frog group is. Oh, just a Facebook group, you know, a, a love of frogs or whatever. Oh, oh okay. It yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought <laughs> it was an acronym for something. I'm like, no, you no. know, oh, just a bunch of people who like frogs. Okay, I'm Yeah, sorry. just a bunch of people. But yeah. those people that like frogs, they really like frogs and they really identify with the frogs. 
and actually think they're frogs. It it opened up this whole like world that I didn't even know existed. Um, I didn't stay there very long. It wasn't my tribe, but it was like, wow, you know, and all of this stuff goes on in different pockets of the world, whether it yeah. be frogs or God knows, or computer programmers or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. But I, I've noticed the time. I can't believe how quick it's gone. Um, <laughs> and, and we haven't talked about what, what you're actually doing right now and helping people. So do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, that journey that I took Mm. was all about healing me. Yeah. Right. And, you know, getting me past all of the angst and the worry and the dread and the self-doubt and the blah, 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 blah. Right. And it took me about 25 years to get to the point where I finally feel comfortable in my own skin, where I don't worry about what other people think about me, where I don't have these anxious thoughts running through my head and where I can feel calm and peaceful most of the time. And, you know, and where I don't have to like, like limit myself and say, oh, well, you know, I'm only showing this much of myself, right? Mm. And so, you know, my, my goal now is over the course of those 25 years, I literally just wrote down everything that worked. And so, you know, when you're taking a journey like this, nine tenths of the journey is trying to define the problem that you have, because you're not really sure, you know what the symptoms are, but you don't know what the problem is, right? And then trying to find a solution to said problem that works, right? You'll try a whole bunch of different things and most of them won't work. And then, you know, you'll find the one thing that works. And so only one tenth of the time is spent actually doing the thing that works. And so when I tell people that I can take 25 years worth of personal growth work and turn it into a two and a half year process, they go, <gasps> and I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> like it's not, yes, it's an express train, but it's not uh, the terrifying express train because I've taken the nine tenths of the wandering around in the dark and trying to figure it out process out, Right. And I've only given you the stuff that actually works. And that's the curriculum, right? And so, you know, that process is what I teach now. The first program's four months long, and then there's a year long and a year long after that. But the first program is is called Inner Peace 101, Finding Emotional Safety. Because before you can do any growth process, you have to find emotional safety. Remember, I was talking about all of those insane thoughts running through my head and the Mm. arguments that I was having with people it took up all of my energy and all of my bandwidth and if you had asked me to actually grow during that time I'd have looked at you like you were nuts because growth requires leaving your comfort zone and my comfort zone was already uncomfortable enough thank you very much Mm. right and so that's what the process of the first program is is to cut that stress level in half so that you have the bandwidth to actually do the work And then the second step is about solidifying your sense of self, your identity, your personal power base. And a good indicator of whether or not you need to do this is if you have to make a personal decision, not a business decision, not a decision for somebody else, but a personal decision for you. uh, That's a big decision, right? If you have to take that big decision and build up energy, build up energy, build up energy, and then pull the trigger on the decision immediately or else all the energy drains out then you need to solidify your sense of self and your personal power base, right? Because that means you've got holes in that energetic container, okay? So that process is about, you know, claiming your space and owning your power, internalizing your sense of value, uh, setting your boundaries, uh, de-armoring your heart so that you can actually feel again, which also means draining that well of rage that you've got because you've been last on your own priority list for so long. And then learning how to love yourself. And those steps get you to the place where you are finally solid in your own self. Then, and only then, can you do the third step, which is shadow work, which is the step that most people try to jump to. They both, most people try to jump past stage one and two and jump straight into the shadow work. And if you have a good sense of self-preservation and you're lucky, nothing will happen when you do the work. It won't work. If you have a bad sense of self-preservation, which most of us do, you will likely re-traumatize yourself if you skip the first two steps. And so this is why we wait to do the first two steps until we get to the shadow work. 
And the shadow work is about digging out the buttons and the triggers to send you flying. It's all the, the, the you know, digging out the ugly parts that you don't want to look at and bringing them into the light and learning how to accept yourself and love yourself within those spaces, changing the limiting beliefs and shifting your identity from a, I don't believe I'm a very good person to, hey, I'm pretty, I'm pretty awesome, right? And so that's what that third step encompasses. And then I have programs after that to teach magic and metaphysics and things like that. But, uh, and, and you learn energetics along the way too. This is the, this is the piece that I do that, that other people don't, which is I blend the personal growth, self-help side of things with the energetics, metaphysic part of things with the wellness arena as well. And when you put those three together, you get real transformation at an accelerated pace with a lot more grace and ease than you get it in other places. And in most cases, those worlds live in very different niches out in the world. So it's very hard to find ways where those cross over. Mm. And so that's been the thing that I've done with my life is taking those and integrating them. And so I've, I've also got a book coming out oh. um, next week. Um, it's called The Overachiever's Guide to Nailing Your Spiritual Growth in Record Time Without Quitting Your Job, Turning Over Your Power, or Joining a Cult. So, <laughs> it is the irreverent guide to happiness. So, um, it, And it's the curriculum that everyone goes looking for, right? It's, it's not a how-to so much. I mean, it, there's a little how-to in there because I give you some starter healing steps for everything, but... I did over 3000 energy scans over the course of the last 10 years and uh, on people who are on a spiritual path. And I found 38 blocks or wounds that are common to everyone uh, within that context. Not everybody had all of them, but everybody had some of them. And so what I did was I, in the book, I laid out all of those wounds and what the causes are what the symptoms are and what some starter healing steps are to, to start working on them. And so I've got that, I've got what the process of change is and what you can expect from it when you make inner change, when you make outer change, I've got the spiritual traps that you might fall into uh, and how to avoid them. I've got essential mindset stuff that you have to be in and, and make sure that you don't get stuck. And then I also talk about the stages of personal growth and what you can expect in each stage and what the keys are to getting from one stage to the next. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, wow. I loved all of that. When I was, when you were talking about the step one, two, three, I was thinking, well, I'm all right with step one. I think step one's fine. I don't need to do step one. Um, and I could understand why people want to jump to step three. Um, but I was also thinking about my partner and I was thinking, oh God, this sounds perfect for him you know where he is right now especially step one um but anyway so I will have a look at your website um after this um thank you for sharing that and do you know what I've like there are smiley people in this world and and I'm not one of them but I've been I've very often been told you know bloody hell crack a smile Mel or whatever because I uh, I look miserable not that I'm trying to look miserable but apparently I do sometimes and um but I've had a smile on my face all the way through this. You are an absolute delight to be in the space of. And you've just got that element of, I mean, the the superiority, I probably wouldn't have blended with you back then, you know, when you when you described how you were at school. Um, but just your life experience, the way that you express it, the way you're sharing it honestly here, and I, and I can relate to a lot of your situations. Um, I've just had a smile the whole way through and um, yeah so thank you for that and, and I'm hoping that the listeners will be smiling all the way through as well because we've had a bit of a giggle as we've talked yeah um, and so thank you and I, I love to well no firstly where can people find you I was talking about your website a minute ago so if if, if somebody wants to um, seek you out where do they go so they can come to the website at kellysparta.com it's k-e-l-l-e mm-hmm S-P-A-R-T-A. So uh, it's kellysparta.com. And then uh, you could also find me on my podcast at spiritsherpapodcast.com or mm -hmm. Spirit Sherpa on any podcast player. Okay, cool. And, and obviously I'll put it in the show notes anyway. Yeah. 
Um, so I always like to finalize these chats with anything you feel drawn to share before we finish. I do this at the end of my podcast too. So do you? <laughs> second, I will tap in and channel you a message. Um, let's see. Okay, that's new. Um, and what they're saying is the world is your oyster. The world is your playground. Uh, stop treating it like it's something hard and, and distasteful and something to endure. Life is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be reveled in. It's meant to be embraced and, and sucked up with luscious, you know, excitement, right? <laughs> and and it's not about the world around you that creates that. It's about your attitude that creates that. So stop waiting for the vacation or waiting for the, the experience to create it for you and instead create it for yourself through your attitude and your intention. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think in the world of the secret and uh, the law of attraction, a lot of people sort of sat, um, you know, in the lotus position, expecting things to uh, fall in their lap. And obviously, yeah. you've got to do something to make that happen. So well, people miss the point of the secret. The secret was not a how to. The secret was an awareness raiser. Yeah. Um, the how to is far more complex. <laughs> yeah. Damn. You know, if, you, if you want to know the secret of the secret, then go listen to Abraham Hicks. Yeah. You know, that, that is where the secret came from yeah. is from the teachings of Abraham Hicks. And so, uh, you know, go listen to Abraham Hicks. There's a, hundreds of thousands of hours on, on, uh, YouTube, I'm sure, because she's been channeling for as long as I've been. Yeah. It was mid eighties, I think. Years. So, yeah. you know, she's been channeling this stuff for 45 years. They've got everything up there. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Kelly. It's been a real pleasure. And um, thank you for your time and your shares. And uh, I know that um, this will be a popular episode. Awesome. Thanks, Mel. If you enjoyed that conversation or were inspired in any way, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. It's the best way for other people to find my podcast and be inspired themselves. Well, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and perhaps the story resonated with your own life or reminded you that perhaps you're also settling for second best. I've been helping people from a young age and realizing that there is more to life than what they are currently settling for. My desire is to give others the love to confidently and respectfully know their value so that they feel joy and are empowered to make a fulfilling difference. If that sounds good to you and you'd like to reach out and connect, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash Mel Clark coaching that's Clark with an E or instagram.com forward slash Mel Clark coaching enjoy your day